Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Thrive Fantasy is a new DFS app for prop bets, and if you know anything about me, you know that I love a good prop bet. They have streamlined the drafting process and eliminated the need to do hours of research by using only top-tier athletes. Instead of the traditional salary cap DFS format, you just build your lineup around a list of prop bets. For each contest, you choose 10 prop bets, plus two extra picks that protect you from any late scratches or postponed game. Each unique prop has an over and an under point value assigned to it, and you will be rewarded that point value if the prop grades out as correct. The person with the most points wins. Peer-to-peer betting, prop betting, can't beat it. TakeCast listeners can get a free $10 credit with their first deposit of $10 or more when they enter the promo code MATT on sign-up. It's available in the App Store or at ThriveFantasy.com. That's promo code MATTIC for a $10 credit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Take Cast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I brought Evan Silva, the Godfather, back into the podcast to discuss the state of the cocoon. We, of course, analyzed the situation going on in New York with Dave Gettleman and the New York Giants, as well as their ownership group. We get uh, some Mike Francesa talk in there. We talk about some of the coaching hires that have happened in the NFL over. Over the last offseason and kind of how they do or do not fit into the archetype of the cocoon. Talk a little bit about the Browns and a little bit about what we expect of the 2019 season. But really, this is just sort of a temperature check into the state of the cocoon in the NFL right now. Of course, if you like the show, you can always leave a rating and review on iTunes or subscribe to the podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash takecast. And of course, we are presented by dailyrodo.com, the best daily fantasy projections and tools in the industry. You can get 10% off using the promo code Rory there. We are also presented by rotoexperts.com with the NFL 365 package headed up by yours truly. You can get 10% off of that package using promo code Matt. Now let's get into the show. All right, everyone, welcoming back in the Mac, Evan Silva to the show. It's been I think at this point, it's been about a year that the show has existed. You were on the third episode of the show, and I'll be honest, I could have had you back on, you know, to boost the numbers, you to get the uh, to get the Evan Silva bump. We could have done that, but I wanted to grow. I wanted to grow on my own. I wanted it to be organic. But now it's been it's been enough time, and I, I we had to have you back on the show to continue to fight against the cocoon. Yeah, I mean, you had Hermsmeyer on for like five visits in between our last visit. So, I mean, I I took that personally, but, you know, I I think I'll forgive you at some point. I mean, Hermsmeyer, he's doing the Lord's work proving that running backs don't matter and that that Bitcoin is completely fraudulent. It's it's amazing. I absolutely, I I really enjoy Josh Hermsmeyer. And then anytime he and then he tweets about Bitcoin and he tilts me harder than any person I know. It's uh, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Uh, but Evan, man, we we had to we had to bring you on the show because you 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 went on the show with Matt Kelly. You went on the Roto Underworld Pod with Fantasy Mansion, and you guys did the Gettleman takedown there. 
And I was a little offended that uh, that I was not included in this because I've been calling for Gettleman's head for a while. Like, I, I think it's, it's, it's trendy. It's trendy to hate on Gettleman now. But I really draw the line is if you needed to start hating on Gettleman last year, not, not during the year, but after the Barkley pick, before they got on the field. Because I actually think maybe only 10% of football Twitter knew how bad the Giants were going to be in 2018. Yeah, I mean, their win total was actually getting bet up. Uh, heading into the season. So team, definitely people were more optimistic about the Giants uh, entering last season. The the way that their schedule set up, it was really, really hard in the first half and really, really soft in the second half. And it played out exactly that way. So if you go back and look at people that do like, you know, projections based on strength of schedule analysis, they just crushed, like they nailed what the Giants would be. And the Giants fell into that trap exactly because – you know, you listen to Dave Gettleman talk, you listen to uh, the Maris talk, and they always refer to how Gettleman, how Eli Manning like improved in the second half of the season, but he was playing terrible defenses. Um, and their offensive line sort of came together like it was, it, it, it became like just competent in the second half of the season. Uh, but that's also from playing weaker defensive front. So, you know, they the, the season went just exactly as it should have been based on strength of schedule. And I know that Strength of schedule is just one data point. You know, it's not what what we should be leaning on. But if you just look at their at the way that their schedule set up, their season went exactly as it, as it should have, and the Giants organization fell perfectly into that trap of trying to chase a little bit of elevated production in the second half of the season against weaker opponents. And I think part of the front office, like probably they look at some of those numbers. They probably look at like, you know, the fact that they scored, I think they scored 35 points against the Cowboys in week 17 against a team that was incentivized to lose that game. I think probably there's like a little bit of that where they were confused, but I actually think a big error they're making right now is I think that they the Giants front office has watched all these quarterbacks and I think they watched Haskins and I think they said that's not it we we don't want Dwayne Haskins which which feels like a pretty big mistake because Dwayne Haskins I think actually probably like I don't think he's on Kyler's level I think he's probably like uh he's like if he started for eight years in the NFL I don't think anyone who watched this class would be surprised and I would even say Will Greer could even do that. I'm not really a, a Drew Locke guy, but I think the mistake that they're making is they they looked at last year's rookie class and this year's rookie class of quarterbacks, and they said none of these guys are good enough, which just feels horrible to me. Well, the seminal moment, and I think that we we all know exactly what that was, was that was on draft day last year when they decided to not only draft a running back number two overall, but also to hang up the phone and not even listen to any trade offers at the number two overall pick, which is crazy in a draft where um, four quarterbacks went in the top 10 and five went in the first round. So there was like a feeding frenzy for quarterbacks. I mean, the Bills traded up for Josh Allen, Cardinals, Josh Rosen, um, you know, the Jets moved up for Darnold. They're sitting there right in, you know, right at the top of all this. And Dave Gettleman says, we didn't even listen to a single trade offer while we were on the clock. We were 100% taking Saquon Barkley. And by doing that, they committed themselves to Eli Manning. They committed themselves to having a below average starter on a massive contract and a massive salary. They've had to make um, bad decisions as a result of that, you know, suboptimal decisions, uh, letting Landon Collins walk, not franchise tagging him, trading Odell Beckham, so it's like a domino effect when you make this terrible, terrible decision. One of the worst 
And I understand that Saquon Barkley is awesome. Like I get, but making it's one of the worst just process decisions in NFL draft history. And it's, it's, it's like chasing, it's like chasing losses at gambling. Like that's really what it is. It's like, it's like making like one, like it's like going on tilt playing poker. Like you're sitting at a table, you're playing, you're playing two five at your local casino. Someone bluffs you and they show you, they show you the bluff and you lose. And then you're just tilting. You spend you spend the next hour flushing away whatever you're sitting with at the table. That's what Gettleman's doing. And actually, I would like I would like this to be known. I need this I need this take to be on record. I actually think the Odell Beckham trade, the decision to trade Odell Beckham, I actually believe is worse than the Saquon Barkley pick. I think it is less defensible, and I think it is a worse process play because Odell Beckham is a unicorn. And he's young, and he was the one functioning part of their offense that was above average the last two years with Eli at the helm. And I think, I mean, they, they will regret that decision every time the Browns play for the next four years. Look, if you make the right decision, you have Sam Darnold on a rookie contract, uh, playing with Odell Beckham, Evan Ingram, Sterling Shop, you know, and um, you, you, you know, maybe Nick, maybe take Nick Chubb, I guess, you know, at the top of the of the second round last year or or what have you. I mean, it's you're just in such a better position. I mean, they could take anyone. Get Phil. Get Philip Lindsay. Sign Philip sure. Lindsay as, a, as an undrafted free agent. It just does. It just does not matter, bro. <laughs> no, and also you you would have seen like so you know the Giants' offensive line obviously wasn't very good last year. By the way, neither was the Jets. But Sam Darnold's athleticism. Um, just his quick feet in the pocket, his movement, his ability to make throws outside the pocket, which Eli Manning just can't do, you know, um, that would have minimized and compensated for a lot of the Giants offensive line problems last year. And he would have been playing with friggin' Odell Beckham, you know, as opposed to Quincy Anunua and Robbie Anderson playing through high ankle sprain. You know, he would have been, I mean, it just, it was the perfect opportunity. And as you say, now they're like trying to make up for their losses and they're just burying themselves with, which with each further bad decision signing golden tate was just crazy i mean that doesn't signing, make any- signing golden tate is like that's what happens in a movie about football where the gm trades somebody and they like need to re- like they need to sign like a facsimile like golden tate is like 68 percent of odell beckham like i guess they theoretically play the same position like it, it's it's just it's laughable. Yeah, it's weird, and uh, they don't have any perimeter threats. So they have Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard as slot receivers. They're probably gonna stretch Sterling Shepard and play him outside, um, and then they've got Evan Ingram, who's like a slot tight end. So and they have nothing on the perimeter. I mean, it's it's a sad state of affairs. Their defense is terrible. They're paying Eli Manning twenty three million dollars this year. I mean, like, what are they doing? What are they? I doing? actually, I actually, I I just finished. A no. mock draft today. I think they're going to draft and wait for it. They're going to draft DK Metcalf with that with that seventeenth overall pick. I'm like I I feel I get some strong DK Metcalf vibes. And then finally <laughs> finally they're going to get their first round bust wide receiver. That that would be something. It would be something. I don't know. I don't know if Metcalf will. I don't know if he'll actually be a bust. But it would be like a very Giants thing to do to trade and then just get like a worse version of the player that you already had. I think uh, an interesting point that Matt made though was that I mean Mara has to have responsibility for this because basically this is all happening with his rubber stamp right like he is allowing all of this to happen and I think he kind of knew that something like this would happen because I believe what happened is he hired a search firm uh, a consulting firm and then the consulting firm found Gettleman It, it was like something like that so he signed off on all of this no it was Ernie Corsi Ernie Corsi Corsi that's the, it. Yeah, the old. Oh, and by the way, if Gettleman took uh, 
DK Metcalf in the first round. I mean, hopefully it works out better than his last first round wide receiver pick, Kelvin Benjamin. (laughs) 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 Oh, um, man. No, I think that John Marriott deserves the most blame uh, for for anyone here. I think that actually Dave Gettleman, I'm to the point, like, having put in so much time into the situation – I'm to the point where I like think that Dave Gettleman is actually like the fall guy. Like John Mara is really like the Trump and Gettleman is like the Sarah Sanders. And, you know, like Dave Gettleman is just like kind of like the shield. Um, right. Dave, Dave Gettleman is Dave Gettleman is a foot soldier who's being told what to do. Right. Right. Um, and John Mara. But the problem is that John Mara doesn't know what to do. You know, he's a third right. generation privileged trust fund kid who just has, has faced minimal adversity in his life. If you recall, John Mara also stood behind Josh Brown, the Giants kicker. The kicker. Yeah. Yeah. Josh Brown admitted to the Giants that he was beating up his wife and John Mara continued to support him even after that. So John Mara showed no backbone in that situation and he's showing no backbone in this situation. Again, I think that in the NFL and throughout pro sports, what the winning franchises do is they have an ability to make tough decisions. You know, the Patriots, Turn the page on Drew Bledsoe, a solid starter. They went with this scrawny six-round pick who shared time in Michigan. The Packers traded their uh, first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback and uh, went with this uh, late first-round pick who had to change his throwing motion coming out of college and kept getting injured his first few seasons in the league. Colts cut their first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback uh, and went with Andrew Luck. Bill Walsh traded Joe Montana, went with Steve Young. The Seahawks benched Matt Flynn after giving him a big contract went with the third round pick who was too short at quarterback. All these decisions seem like no brainers in hindsight to us, obviously. The Cowboys benched Tony Romo, the only good thing in their franchise for 15 years for a fourth round rookie. And that's Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones has no spine, no spine. And he did that. Jerry Jones signed off on that. It's incredible to think that Mara is, is that terrified. They, they benched Eli for a game. And you would have thought from the media reaction that the team had like hired thugs to beat him up in front of his kids or something when he got benched by for Geno Smith for one game. Yeah, and what happened that day after they benched Eli for Geno Smith is that Mike Francesa came came on the scene. This is what we needed. We needed the Francesa right. shadow GM takes. Right. So the next day after they benched um, Eli for Geno, and you know it didn't go very well out in Oakland. Not that it mattered. They, I think they had like one or two. They were two and ten or something at the time. And, you know, Ben McAdoo had seen enough of Eli. And the next day, because Mike, because Eli has always done weekly spots on Mike Francesa's show. So Mike Francesa is just extremely pro-Eli. Pro-Eli. Like, yeah, he, it's always, uh, he blamed Eli's struggles for the past six years on Odell Beckham. He said right. that Odell Beckham was actually the problem, the offensive line and Odell Beckham. So anyways, the day after this, the benching, that you know, and, and the result isn't doesn't go well. Mike Francesa does this monster rant. It's a great rant. Like it's a great, great rant taking down uh, Ben McAdoo. You know, Ben McAdoo sending him back to Green Bay. He couldn't shine Eli's shoes. You know, like it's a it's a great, great rant. But ever since that, like, and, and then Eli, of course, was immediately reinstalled as the starter. Ben McAdoo was fired. Jerry Reese was fired. But ever since that moment. Um, it's just, it's really interesting how the Giants have been essentially doing everything that Mike Francesa has told them to do. It's, I mean, and it's still happening. It, it's still going on. Like, Francesa, let me tell you this. For, I, 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 I kind of believe this take. Like, I believe that, it, I, at the very least, I believe that Mara listens to Francesa's show and that Gettleman probably does too. 
I, I don't know if they outright, I don't know if they, you know, I don't know if they're emailing Francesa trying to get his, uh, you know, his take on personnel moves, but I, I would, if I was a betting man, I would bet they listen to his show. Well, uh, you know, after we, after we did the podcast with uh, the pod father, um, a bunch of like, like Giants fans like love the podcast and um, they got really into it. One of the guys uh, found an old 30 for 30. It's not that old. Uh, it's, it's the 30 for 30 on Mike and the Mad Dog. It's an awesome 30 for 30. And on that 30 for 30, John Mara appears and he talks about how he listens to Francesca's show or at least how it was, you know, it came out, I think, 2017 when Francesca was supposedly retiring and they were splitting up and then Francesca came back and um, the mad dog went to Sirius. Um, so he talked in the past tense, but he talked about how John Mara talked about how he and his dad would drive to work listening to Francesca every day. And, you know, they, they also bring in like Brian Cashman of the Yankees and, you know, they talk about how they talked about how Francesa and the Mad Dog had actual impact on certainly the fans and at times like movements made by the teams in the New York market. There's a really famous story about how they got Mike Piazza to the Met. Um, Mike and the Mad Dog got the, the Met to make it like Steve Phillips, the Mets GM, did not want to trade for Mike Piazza. And um Francesa and Mad Dog got wind of it from Mike Piazza's agent that Mike Piazza wanted to go play for the Mets. So they got a hold of uh, Nelson Doubleday, who was the Mets chairman. And Nelson Doubleday uh, overrode Steve Phillips. <laughs> we're going we're to go get Mike Piazza, and they did. That is an inc- that's just incredible. That's yeah. so good. I, didn't, I was not even aware. I guess, I mean, Mike Francesa has been doing New York media for longer than I've been alive. So he's he's just a part of the fabric of the teams there. And, and that fabric chased Odell Beckham out of town, which is, I mean, if you're going to point out a player that uh, like a 65-year-old white dude in New York would not like, it would definitely be Odell Beckham. He, he The fans yeah. never loved him, which is kind of crazy. He was never really a beloved giant. I guess the rookie year he was. Everyone loved him his rookie year, and then pretty much every year after that, parts of the fan base started to turn against Odell. Well, and the rumor has it is that the reason that Francesa has never liked him is because he invited Odell to a, um, like, one of, like, Francesa puts on this breakfast every year, and he invited Odell to it, and Odell said he would show up, and then Odell didn't show up. And so from that point on, um, Francesa was just out to get Odell. Uh, But... I, what's really interesting, Davis, is just how it, it goes beyond Odell. It, it really goes on beyond Eli, just how eerie it is that when Francesa says something, like the Giants do it. And it, it certainly starts with Eli. You know, again, Eli has made the weekly appearances on Francesa's show for years. Francesa consistently blames the offensive line and Odell Beckham for Eli's struggles. You know, not the fact that Eli has zero quick twitch athleticism, can't evade the rut, not that Eli's pocket presence is non-existent. Not that Eli has zero ability to make downfield throws anymore. Francesa blames the line and Odell Beckham, one of the best receivers we've ever seen. And that's effectively the stance that the Giants have taken based on their moves. They traded OBJ. They traded their best pass rusher, Olivier Vernon, for a guard. Uh, Francesa says on the air that the Giants should not franchise tag Landon Collins because he can't cover. The Giants let Landon Collins walk for nothing. Francesa does that takedown rant of McAdoo. The very next week, Eli is reinstalled as the starter. McAdoo gets fired, just one year removed from going 11-5. and five. Uh, Francesa goes on the air, calls Golden Tate a great free agent pickup. The Giants sign Golden Tate. 
last year. That was the one that got me. That was the one when I started to buy in was the Golden Tate one. Because before (laughs) before I was kind of just like, I mean, whatever. Francesa, he's just, Francesa's just on air looking at his phone, just drinking Diet Coke and and letting (laughs) off the hot takes, you know. But the Golden Tate one was eerie because that's when I was like, I mean, why would they even sign Golden Tate? Like, Francesa's sending emails to these dudes. Last year, uh, Francesa went, did a rant uh, against Eli Apple. He got traded. Um, he helped solidify the Saints' defense down the stretch. Uh, Francesa got into it with Damon Snacks Harrison. Snacks got traded. And, I mean, look, it's, it's probably not quite Francesa, like, outright telling the Giants what to do, but it's certainly the Giants' ownership being sensitive to things that Francesa says ever since, since, since that – uh, Eli McAdoo rant because he drives so much public thinking among the fan base. You know, he's an influence. And I, I def- definitely an influencer. Has influence over the Giants moves more than anyone cares to admit because he influences ownership. Yeah. I mean, and if you can influence Mara, you can influence whoever. So another, I, I think this is the a very human element of the story that I've been wanting to talk about on air. Do you think that any of this embarrasses Eli? Just to just to see, know internally that he doesn't is not good anymore and to see all of these things happening in the organization around him that are really done to sort of protect his feelings. Like, like you know when you're with one of your friends or your family or whatever, and someone does something very obviously to protect how you feel, and you just sort of feel that shame? Like, oh, that person went out of their way to, to, to protect my feelings, and that feels weird. Like, I wonder, does Eli ever feel that way about what's going on with the Giants? Or if you're, like, playing, you know, pickup basketball and the other four dudes on your team are, like, good, they can hit threes, they get rebounds, and you just suck. Like, yeah, yeah, um, that's, that, is the, that is the situation that Eli is in. Like, like everyone else sucks, but, like, you know, they'll, they'll put you over in the corner and they'll let you shoot a three, like, once every ten trips down the court just because, you, you know, you got to stay in the game. They, they see you open and, like, they don't pass you the ball. Like, yeah. Um, no, but I think that Eli just – I don't think he's embarrassed. I think that he just likes playing football. He likes making a lot of money. He likes being the quarterback of the Giants. And he has the support of, of ownership. He has the support of the front office to continue doing all those things. And with very few exceptions, the New York media has Eli's back. And, you know, they didn't rip the Giants for taking the running back at number two overall last year. They, they did not rip the Giants at all. Um, and, you know, in, instead of the quarterback, they and they, they have blamed the O-line for Eli's struggles. Frances is the most powerful voice in the city. You know, even though he's, you know, kind of kind of be kind of devolved into a cartoon character, but people still listen to him. And he still gets, you know, massive, massive ratings in New York. He's that, he's the drive time guy. I think it's like three to six. Yeah. So people are just listening to him, period. And um, look, so Eli has organizational and media support, and I don't think he's embarrassed at all. I think I would be a little embarrassed. I, I honestly think that if I was in, and maybe maybe his life has just been so different than mine that I cannot possibly imagine what's going on in Eli's head at any given point. But just if all of this was done for me to preserve my dignity when I clearly was not good anymore, I just, I, I think that it's just like, honestly, it's kind of shameful on Eli's part. Like good for him for cashing the checks, whatever, like go get your money, bro. But like you're tanking a, a multi-billion dollar business with your ineptitude. So all of this is really just sort of a preamble for the big thing that you and I both like talking about, which is the cocoon. And I think that there are some pretty good signals that the cocoon is, uh, it's changing. It, 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 the, from where we were at this point last year, I think the league is starting to look a lot differently. Teams are passing more, hiring younger people, so on and so forth. And the, the one hiring to me that seemed to sort of stem away from the cocoon more than any other was Zach Taylor. 
Because this dude has like no real coaching experience. He was basically Sean McVay's assistant, uh, more or less. Like his coaching jobs were relatively low level overall. And uh, for, first, I wanted to ask your your general takes on Zach Taylor, and then also if you agree with me that it is a signal of uh, the shell of the cocoon being poked through. I don't know, man. You think you think he's a cocoon hiring? First of all, Zach Taylor. So my one of my closest friends in college uh, dated Sarah Sherman uh, at Marquette in college. And Sarah Sherman is actually the daughter of Mike Sherman, um, the old Packers coach and GM. Yeah. And uh, Zach Taylor married, wound up marrying Sarah Sherman. Oh, well, I take it I take it all back. The cocoon is alive and well. Yeah, right, right. So I would not look at Zach Taylor and be like, yo, this is, you know, this, oh, he's, he's, he's cracking the cocoon. No, no, no I'm, I, I'm going I, I, like, to leave this take in the podcast just so people can hear the, me going through all of that. But that's how, that's how deep this stuff goes, bro. It's like, it's yeah. like, it's like a kingdom, like in, in the middle ages or whatever, like, like you, you got to marry into the family to get your chance. Mm-hmm, exactly. That's why. And like, I guess I've um, in uh, fantasy douches book from like 2013, he has like loads of stories like that where dudes like married in to coaching families and like found that way to get their, uh, to get their coaching job. I'm kind of bummed out though. I was like getting excited about the Bengals. And now I, now I think I have to root against them just like on principle. <laughs> They're not going to be very good. They'll be an easy team to root against. See, I kind of like their offense, dude. I kind of think they have a lot of pieces that are good. I mean, they need a lot of things to, like, break right. Like, they need Eifert. Can we get 12 games out of Eifert, you know? Can we? I mean, A.J. Green has gotten to the point where he's kind of getting hurt every year. He's starting to get a little older. Um, you know, Dan, Andy Dalton is just – I mean, he's always the, the sum of his parts quarterback. Like, he can play at a high level when he's got those guys help. They, they were playing pretty well in their first half of last season. Tyler Boyd had a breakout year. Um, you know, Joe Mixon is, is definitely fun to watch. Their O-line is still, like, a, a pretty significant problem. Um, their their first-round pick center, Billy Price, did not play well as a rookie. You have to wonder, if is he going to be able to take a step? And then, um, you know, they're re-signing Bobby Hart, one of the worst right tackles in the league, uh, just because he started for them last year. And the you see that the offensive line coach that they hired was the offensive line coach during the Jonathan Martin saga uh, oh, with the Dolphins. Brutal. Yeah, brutal. So, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, look, they, they, it's not like they have zero talent. I, I think they need a new quarterback. I mean, I'm, I'm tired of the, I mean, I would be – just can we aim higher, please? It's time to aim higher. Every, I mean, every team should aim higher. That's why Kyler's going to go one. Kyler would not have gone one – this would have. This was like the first year ever that he would have gone one. Like like a, like a, a shorter quarterback who's like athletic and who only started for, for one season. I guess he started for at Texas A&M for a little bit as well. But he would not have gone number one overall at any other time in the NFL than now. Actually, the, the looking at this NFL draft stuff has me thinking more about how – the NFL is changing than ever before. Like the kinds of like wide receiver prospects that are fitting in the NFL now. And I actually think this is a, a pretty bad running back class. And I think they would have all been overdrafted a few years ago. But I think like there's a decent chance that maybe only 10 guys get drafted in the first like four rounds. Like I think that could actually happen of the running back. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not a good class. It's not an athletic class. It's not even a particularly productive class. The number one running back in the class, Josh Jacobs, is, you know, he had 120 carries last year and he ran like four six at his pro day. So I mean that tells you a lot, you know, about the class. I think that the um, you know, David Montgomery, like every time you see him get in the open field he gets caught from behind. You know, he's he's 
He was very productive. He broke a lot of tackles. He played in the passing game. But, man, he just – he has a distinct lack of, like, explosiveness. And, you know, that's a concern. Are uh, you a are you a Josh Jacobs guy? Are you are you a Josh Jacobs truther? I am. I mean, because I watched him play, and I think that that's going to work in the NFL. But you look, you put him on a spreadsheet, and he doesn't – he looks like a guy that should be probably like a, like a day – early day three pick maybe I mean not even I mean the fact that he the fact that he played at Alabama is why he would get a draftable grade on a spreadsheet honestly yeah but like I because you know me like I'll I'll watch these college prospects but it's not like I'm like writing down traits and like making mental notes to compare him to Reggie Bush or whatever like I, I watch a guy who can get some yards when it's blocked and he he's pretty shifty and he was good in the nationally televised games but like I just don't, yes. man. I just I, the the idea of him being a first round draft pick to me is an example of just like I mean maybe he is, but he'd have to be an outlier in like every sense to be to be the number one running back in this class. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't have if this is the I think when was the last year that we didn't have a first round running back? It was like you know, like 2014 maybe. Yeah. I think they not have a first round running back this year. Uh, although Daniel Jeremiah has Josh, Daniel Jeremiah, you know, has like relationships with people in the NFL and decision makers. And um, so when, whenever you see him like way higher or way lower than consensus on a guy. Yeah, it's coming from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Like he's way low on Hakeem Butler, which is just killing me. Uh, but he's way high on um, Josh Jacobs. He's number eight overall player in the entire draft. So I think there are people in the NFL that are just going to be like, we don't care that he only had this number of carries. We don't care what he ran in his pro day, you know, and then that's the way that Josh Jacobs does get into the first round. I think it's still like more likely than not that we have a first round running back. It certainly wouldn't surprise me. I think it's like 73rd for a first. There are just so many good wide receivers that I feel like teams would rather have. Like, and I'm I'm sure it's wrong. Like, I'm sure if you look at like JJ Arcega Whiteside versus Josh Jacobs for whatever team, these teams would probably rather have Josh Jacobs, even though our Sega white side would give them way more touchdowns. I'm with you, buddy. Too. I, it's, it's, I, I guess that's the frustrating thing for me about the NFL draft right now is like not having a sense of like, what percentage of these teams are buying in? Like what percentage of these teams that like, you know, you, you know, you know, people, you, you got some sources, bro. You know, Warren Sharp, you know, you know what people inside the NFL are thinking. What, what percentage of these teams are starting to, to buy into the analytics mindset. I still think it's less than, than we think, um, but there have been more. I think that what the Dolphins are doing kind of shows some embrace of that. Um, you know, they appear to be taking a forward-thinking approach with their rebuild. It's starting, it's starting to look like a full reset that might last more than a year. Uh, their owner, Stephen Ross, has talked about how it might last two to three years now, this is just a, a team-building approach. It's not necessarily, you know, using analytics to make decisions quite yet. I think uh, they go hand-in-hand, hand, though. All right, yeah, I, I do, too. I do, too. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, like, do we all of a sudden start seeing them draft in a certain way? Do we see them you – know, they only have, I think, seven picks in this draft. They have, like, 12, I think, in 2020. Do we see them start to try to trade down at every pick, you know, which is – that's what I think that they should do and not take a middle-round quarterback. Like, their beat writers are starting to say, oh, they should take, you know, Jarrett Stidham in the fourth round. Like, no. If they take, if they, no, if they take Tyree Jackson, I'm in. I'll buy a jersey. I'll become, I'll become a Dolphins fan. I'll become a Dolphins fan, bro, because you get that dude in there and you just let him go wild for his rookie year and just don't care how many mistakes he makes. That will be good four and 12 football that will be fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. Or it might be like Deshaun Kaiser, but, you know, it might. Yeah, it it could be that bad. 
It might be Josh Allen, though. And Josh Allen, hey, that was fun at the end of the season, you remember? It was fun at the end of the season, but, like, part of me can't divorce the fact that they traded up to get him and that they just, they, and, like, I don't know, it still makes me mad. It honestly makes me mad. You know what? He's like the Josh Jacobs of quarterbacks. Just, like, when you look at his stuff on the spreadsheet, you're like, how did this dude get drafted in the first round? And this happens with wide receivers, too. There are wide receivers. I actually looked I actually looked the other day at uh, wide receivers and tight ends drafted in the first and second rounds over the last mm-hmm. decade. And some of these names are hilarious, bro. Like, people forget, like, Brandon Pettigrew was, uh, was a first-round draft pick once upon a time. Like, teams will just do – like, all it, in the NFL draft, all it takes is one. One GM or one scout has to bang the table really hard for a player, and boom, this dude's a first-round pick. Tim Tebow, first round draft pick. Yeah, I think that um, draft cheat is going to be on the the uh, Josh Allen Express this year. Uh, yo, he was the number one overall fantasy quarterback from weeks twelve through seventeen last year. Number one overall fantasy. He's going like he's going to be he's going to be a sick best ball quarterback this year. I think. Yeah, best ball for sure. Him and him and him and Lamar Jackson are going to be like you got to just be you got to just be pounding those dudes. But another team that has really uh, embraced analytics like publicly and vocally is the Panthers under their new owner David Tepper. Um, I I still think there's a really long way to go, man. So so many teams are just not incentivized to search for every possible edge because they make so much money regardless because the NFL is so inherently profitable and so. And, and, you know, it's going to become even more profitable with the legalization of sports betting. What did Mark Cuban say that he thinks that the value of every sports franchise is going to, like, double within the next decade? You know, so, so teams will be even less incentivized to try to get every single edge when they – when they can just sit back and, and you know, and, and print money. Yeah, and I think a probably a reason that Tepper is uh, definitely looking to make the team better is that he just bought the team recently at a really high cost. So he the money is not just rolling in for him. He's, like, incentivized for the team to make more money, to make more playoff games, and to do better because he just paid, like, I don't, I don't remember the exact number, but it was, a, it was a lot of money to buy that team. Whereas a lot of these teams, like, I, you'd probably know a better number than I would. A bunch of them are, like, basically family businesses that have literally just been handed down for three generations. Right, right. And, I mean, those are, those are like, in, just in general, a, like a, a business that's handed down third or fourth generation, that's going to be a business that is uh, just not incentivized. To uh, it's not incentivized to create innovation at all. Yeah, agree. All right, so coaching or front office move that has you most excited for the 2019 football season? I mean, obviously, uh, Jeff Monken's cousin Todd Monken bringing the air raid to Cleveland with Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, David Njoku, Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway, Nick Chubb. Um, and you know, if you're not deeply familiar with what the air raid is, I'd strongly suggest any listeners to this. Go back and listen to Davis's podcast with the Murray State Racers offensive coordinator, Nick Coleman. I think it was like your 20th or 25th show or something. Um, he gives a great description of just the different mindsets between the pro-style mindset and the air raid mindset and Todd Monk and bringing that to the Browns. Super, super exciting. Even if he's not going to begin the season calling plays, I think Freddie Kitchens is going to open the season calling plays. You know, he's going to bring that into the meeting rooms. And I'm really, I love that hire by the Browns. Yeah, that, that, that was, that's obvious. I think that's uh, obvious answer number one. Answer number two for me, though, is Cliff to the Cardinals. Because Cliff is, that, that dude is pure air raid. Like, his, his teams were just like, well, I, they didn't care about running the ball. They just wanted to chuck it 
every play and Kyler is a perfect fit for that. I guess I'm already assuming that Kyler is on the team, but I'm, I'm like, at this point, I'm like 98% certain that Kyler's going to be the quarterback of the Cardinals in 2019. As am I, as am I. And I'm excited about that hire too. You know, let's get David Johnson in space. Remember that? Remember that concept? Like it's I remember. The- I remember David Johnson in space. It's been a while, but I remember it's it. It's been a while. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just the polar opposite of Mike McCoy's bunch formations and, uh, you know, and pounding him up the middle. I mean, you know, that's why, like, David Johnson went in the third round of the NFL draft is because he's not, like, necessarily a great interior runner. Get this no, no. He, could, he can't really do it. He's, he's very – he's, like, a compact little dude. No, no, no. He's, he's not little. <laughs> well, he's, like – he's, like – he's only, like, six feet tall, right? He's, like, he's like six yeah. feet, two fifteen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So – so, but I mean, let's just use it. Like, let's spread out the defense and get our dudes the ball in space. How about that? Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, David Johnson, Kyler Murray in space. I mean, I'm excited for it too. A lot of people aren't giving Cliff Kingsbury a chance. They think the Cardinals are dead and buried. Oh, we had a losing record at Texas Tech. Like, care. you know how hard it is to coach at Texas Tech, bro? No, I don't know much about it. About it. I mean, Lubbock, Lubbock, Texas is not a fun place to get recruits to come. It's, 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 it's a cow pasture in the middle of West Texas. It, it is not a fun place to be. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I, I, I believe that. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm like cautiously optimistic that Kingsbury is going to be a lot better than people anticipate. I just, I think the, the general feeling about him is pretty negative. Right now, he comes in, you know, they got the Josh Rosen situation. How are they going to handle that? You know, but hey, they need to go all in on what Cliff Kingsbury thinks they're yeah, they should not half-ass this at all. They can't be doing half right. the year rate or whatever. They got it. They got to really do it because what I mean, what we saw last year was a, a a team that doesn't have very much skill that tries to play traditional run-run-pass football is going to get boat raced every game because yeah. you you don't have the strength, you don't have the athleticism, you don't have the talent. So your scheme has to be better every play to beat these other teams? My favorite um, offensive series of the 2018 NFL season was in that Thursday night game, uh, Cardinals against the Broncos. They open with, the Cardinals open with two handoffs. Uh, oh, well, the, the Cardinals were playing without both of their starting guards, and they gave two handoffs straight to David Johnson, right into the middle of the defense, you know, or stuffed, stuffed. And then on the third play, Josh Rosen gets pick six. Like, that's exactly what you deserve when you're starting off the, the series with, you know, just two unbelievably suboptimal plays. You deserve to get pick six dunked on to finish that possession. I loved it. So this is the big question and Herms Meyer's take which he elaborated on in the show is if you have two young quarterbacks, you don't have to trade one of them it's fine to have two young quarterbacks on the roster let them compete figure it out trade them later so do you think that if and when the Cardinals take Kyler do you think they need to be on red alert to trade Rosen right away or do you think it's fine to let them play together and camp for a little while I think it's fine I think that if all you can get is a third round pick you keep them because he's cheap, he's at very worst a, a, a you know a backup with upside. You have him under contract for four more years, um, and you know things could go wrong. Kyler Murray can get hurt. You know, I mean, I, I think that absolutely, if all you can get is a third round pick, you absolutely keep Josh Rose. If it's a second round pick, it's still it's still a little tough, but. You know, if it's an earlier second round pick, you know, et cetera. And then obviously I think if, if you can get a first round pick, I think you take the first round pick because you still need to build your team. I mean, the Cardinals are a long way off, you know. Um, but I think that that's how I would, you know, depend. It just it would depend on what I'm being offered from a compensation standpoint, yeah. not 
in pick swaps. Like we're not, you know, we're not trading Josh Rosen so that we can move from like, you know, the third round to like, you know, early in the second. You know, we're not doing that. We, we need to get an actual extra pick um, if we are going to do this trade or multiple picks, ideally. Like two twos, I think, would be really interesting. A two this year and a two next year or something like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if, if all you're getting offered are third-round picks, and I think that they're going to get more than that, but if all you're being offered are third-round you just keep them. He has way more value than a third. It's not even close. I mean, yeah, all, like, all it takes is, uh, you know, Joe Flacco sprains an ankle in the preseason, Rosen throws a touchdown against the backups, and you have Elway on the phone offering you a, a 2021 first or whatever. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. it's really that simple. NFL GMs are, are dumb sometimes like that. So there we go. I think we, we've got it solved at this point, bro. You just you – you trade down, you trade down every pick, you uh, take the youngest players possible, and uh, and Francesa runs the Giants. And th- that's the way that the modern NFL works. That's it. That's a wrap. All right, man. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me.